Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include climate change and mortgage-backed securities, my interview with TMS's Chief Compliance Officer Shana Arrington on compliance hot topics and why compliance matters to customers, and it's election day. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus an Encino company, an award-winning developer, and mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. Nexus Closing brings together borrowers, lenders, and settlement agents for more efficient collaboration and modern closing convenience. Nexus Closing supports full e-closings, hybrid closings, and traditional closings, giving lenders flexible options for their preferred workflow. Learn more at simplenexus.com. Whether or not you believe in climate change, or I guess whether it's man-made or natural, it's immaterial. If investors in mortgage-backed securities or insurance companies do, and it impacts borrower pricing or your ability to obtain insurance in places like Florida or California, then it matters. United Nation climate talks in Egypt, known as COP27, are underway this week, with many of the parties looking for concrete pledges to combat the damaging effects of climate change. Quote, Moving from negotiations and pledges to an era of implementation is a priority, said COP27 President Sama Shukri. Good luck. Despite coral making a great comeback in the Pacific, greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide reached new record highs in 2021. While increasing temperatures, the loss of biodiversity, and extreme weather events like floods and hurricanes are said to be growing in intensity. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source, Shana Arrington. She oversees compliance across all business channels, including correspondent, servicing, subservicing, and formerly the company's retail and wholesale origination channels. This includes oversight of company legal and regulatory compliance, change management, policies and procedures, quality control, compliance testing, licensing and examination, and consumer complaint management. Before joining TMS, Shana worked at a mortgage banking-focused law firm where she served as an outside counsel to a variety of lenders, servicers, and industry vendors. She has extensive government and regulatory experience, including time in the Department of Housing and Urban Development and the Department of Justice. All right, what is compliance? We hear a lot about the importance of compliance and compliance risks, but what does that actually mean? I would say compliance at its most basic is doing what's right. When I explain all day what I do to my kids, and I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so when I try to tell them what I do all day at work, I explain it as, I know what the rules are, I help other people that I work with understand those rules, and I make sure that we're following them so everybody can be safe. And I know that sounds a little juvenile of how I would explain it to my kids, Um, but at the end of the day, it's true, right? That's what it's about. It's about doing the right thing to protect the customer. And for us at TMS to be able to protect our clients and our company, that's the, you know, the point of compliance and the heart of everything we do. You know, my probation officer thinks he makes the rules, but I'm, I'm not sure who makes the rules when it comes to compliance, who, who enforces (laughs) compliance within our mortgage industry. Well, I would tell my kids that I make the rules, um, but the truth of it is, uh, you know, the regulator that we tend to hear the most about today is obviously the CFPB. I feel like every day I come into work, I open my email, I read the news, it's something else. Um, they do tend to hold the most weight today, and I think that's because 
They have the authority to interpret a lot of the federal regulations and issue related rulemakings. And particularly under the current administration and leadership, they're doing that in a very creative way. Um, but there are actually other federal financial regulators, too. So they're the big five. We hear the most from the CFPB, but there is the OCC, the Federal Reserve, FDIC, and NCUA. And it really just depends how you're structured, who your regulator is. Um, but then we also have straight our, our state regulators. So for those of us that are IMBs, we are we have the joy and the privilege of being licensed at the state level. And so at TMS, we do business in all 50 states, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Um, so that takes us into 52 jurisdictions. And in mortgage servicing, particularly when you subservice and you're collecting debts on behalf of another, you can be viewed in certain states as a debt collector. So we've got those regulators too. And then on top of it all, we've got our agency partners. So uh, Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, if you're originating VA, FHA, USDA, they've got their own regulations and rules and handbooks. So it's, you know, putting all that together to make the magic happen in the right way. The mortgage industry has gotten to the point where compliance is a lot more buttoned down than it was obviously before the financial crisis. Uh, and it is at the forefront of a lot of companies' minds, but there's still those out there that get slapped on the wrist or, or might not be doing things the way they should. What are the risks of non-compliance and why should our listeners care? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, before I came to TMS, I worked at a law firm and I worked as outside counsel to a lot of lenders and servicers. And I think it was fascinating to see the risk profiles, if you will, of different companies, right? And some companies are uh, always do the right thing. And some companies are, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'd like you to please, you know, sprinkle your magic fairy dust when you can to make it go away, which doesn't always work. So um, if we're talking about risks of non-compliance, what I would say to those who maybe have a more relaxed uh, risk environment is, uh, first of all, money, right? Uh, money talks. And so non-compliance, you're looking at fines, civil money penalties, settlements, um, potentially the cost of litigation. If you have customers with a private right of action or you have an enforcement action that you feel is not justified, you want to contest it, uh, that can definitely rack up some serious legal fees. I would also say it's resources. So if you're not compliant and you're facing an investigation, just the pure amount of resources that you would need to respond to a complex investigation, it can be crippling for an organization to the point where that's all you're doing. That's all you have time for and your business suffers um, versus doing the right thing, having the right controls in place and documented. So when your regulators come in, you can just sort of hand it over, answer their questions and, and go back to your business as usual. And then I would say the last risk and probably the most important is reputational. If you're not compliant, if you're not doing right by your customers and your employees, you're not going to be able to stay in business long term. And no one's going to want to come work for you if they know that your time as a company is limited and clients and customers aren't going to want to do business with you either. So, you know, hopefully one of those three things, if not all three of those things, uh, the money, the resources and the reputational risk uh, speak to those in the industry to encourage us all to do the right thing. TMS is very well known in the servicing industry. So I want to ask you, why is it important for a client to ensure that their subservicer is compliant? 
Sure. So I think sometimes people think, you know, I'm going to outsource this. I, you know, servicing is incredibly complex. I'm just going to let somebody else do it who knows what they're doing. Hopefully you choose a subservicer who knows what they're doing. Um, And what I want to say is that I'm going to take you back to the obligation as a lender or as an MSR holder, ultimately as the master servicer, you're responsible for the actions of your vendors, which means you're ultimately responsible for the actions of your subservicer. They're acting on your behalf. Um, As a, a master servicer who's contracting servicing out, you still have an obligation for oversight. So you want to ensure that your subservicer is compliant and your customers are being treated fairly. And I'm not saying that just you know, morally or ethically, it's the right thing to do, which is true. But I'm saying that's an agency requirement from Fannie, Freddie, Ginny. Um, and it's also a CFPB expectation for vendor management as part of your compliance management system. And the other thing I would say outside of, you know, whatever legal, ethical, moral obligations you have to do the right thing, um, and maybe something that speaks more to the industry as a whole is it's about customer experience which at the end of the day, it's about loyalty and retention. You want to keep your customers happy. And whether you're servicing your own loans or you have a subservicer that's doing it for you, you want to make sure that your customers are being treated well so they continue to come back to you for any of their financing needs. And you know that might be their next home, an investment property, a line of credit, you know, whatever whatever products you offer, you want them to come back to you to have that positive experience. Well, you touched on the origination side there at the end. Is there a difference when it comes to compliance and associated risks between origination and servicing? Yes. Um, this is um, one of my favorite things to talk about. So I, I actually started out in originations and I used to think that originations was complex and there were, you know, just this endless variety of loan level scenarios that you would never be able to figure them all out. Um But then I got into servicing. And what I realized is that in originations, your typical pipeline is what, like 45, 60 days to close. So let's say two months for you to figure out what product is going to meet the client's needs, get them credit qualified, underwriting, you know, properly disclosed, of course, and then you close and fund the loan and you're done, right? That's the life cycle. Um, It's a lot to do, but it is fairly routine versus on the servicing side, what happens after that loan closes? Um, It's probably a 15 to 30 year obligation, and that's a long-term relationship. Um, And, you know, I've been on the servicing side for a while now, um, certainly not 30 years, but I just think of anything that can happen over the life of that loan. Um, you know, most likely over time, a borrower's taxes and insurance, they're going to go up, which could cause an escrow shortage if their loan's escrowed. They could lose their job. They could be impacted by a natural disaster. They could be mapped into a flood zone. They can be mapped out of a flood zone. They could get a divorce. They could die. I mean, there are so many scenarios of what can happen over that time frame. And you know, as a servicer, those are all things that are highly regulated. Each one of those scenarios, how you deal with it, you need to have processes around it and controls. And so um, I would just say the difference is uh, it's a much longer relationship. There are a wider variety of events that can impact the customer over the life of the loan. And there's just a much more complex set of rules and regulations that govern all those scenarios. Um 
So I'd say compliance risk on the servicing side is much more pronounced and elongated over time. And I guess I'll go back to that takes me to the importance of if you're going to service your own loans or you're going to, you know, contract it out to a subservicer, selecting somebody who truly knows what they're doing and knows how to do it right. Sometimes I think compliance gets a bad rap, like HR, people think of them as the police, but compliance is actually ensuring like safety and soundness of your operations. So uh, I want to let, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. What are, what are some hot topics you're dealing with in compliance today? Yeah. And I appreciate anytime somebody says something nice about compliance, we appreciate that. (laughs) Um, But I do, I, you know, I think that here at TMS, we really think of it as um, sort of like a customer service department to the rest of the lines of business, right? Like ultimately we're trying to help them do their jobs better, do their jobs right, um, help them understand like the what and how so we can serve our customers better. I know some entities compliance can be um, an obstacle uh, or a hurdle to get around. Um, I don't think that's the way that we treat it here at TMS. It really is seen as more of a value add. Yeah, that's cool to think of it as a customer service department for the different divisions. Can you explain TMS's approach to compliance in a little more detail for us? Yeah, um, I think for us, uh, it always comes back to our core values. And I know that you have had uh, several people from TMS on the show, but if those um, are not familiar with the company, we have four core values. Uh, So people matter, period, strength of character, inspiring leadership, and rock solid service. And I know at a lot of organizations, they might say they have core values and maybe, you know, you get them at onboarding or they're slapped on the wall somewhere. Um, You never really see them again. But at TMS, I would say our core values have life. They truly are at the heart of everything we do. And for us, it always comes down to treating the customer right and putting the customer first. And I can truly say, as the chief compliance officer here, there are so many touch points in my day where I'm trying to make a decision. Maybe I'm signing off on a letter that's going to go out to our customers or an email communication or a piece of marketing. And I always, you know, take off my my CCO hat, take off my lawyer hat and say, if I'm the average person and I don't know what an escrow is, or I don't understand loss mitigation, and I'm seeing this for the first time, does it make sense to me Am I going to understand this complex transaction? How do we do better for our customers? How do we make them understand? And I feel like, you know, that's a snippet of my day and what I do. But I think we all have that mentality throughout the organization of how do we do right by the customer and how do we help them? And not only do core values uh, play a large part at TMS, but you also are are wielding a, a huge portfolio of loans. And that dictates a lot of what goes on. How do you ensure compliance across such a large portfolio of loans? It's definitely a challenge, but I would say a a fun challenge that we're up to. I think for us, or for me, really, it's the mentality of setting uh, what we call is like our culture of care and compliance throughout the organization. So, you know, any any servicer, any lender within this industry, we all know we have required training that we have to do, right? And do you do your training as a checkbox to say, okay, I sat there for 30 minutes and watched this video and passed this test, great. Um, Or do you say, did they really learn something from this? Do our customer-facing agents who are out there talking to our borrowers all the day, 
all day? Do they truly understand the complexities of, you know, why somebody's escrow might go up or what their post forbearance loss mitigation options are? And so we try to not just teach our employees or our team members what the rules are, but why they're important, um, what the implications of following or not following them are, why it matters to the customer, why it matters to our clients. So I think for us, it starts with training, coaching, um, and really helping people understand the why behind what we do. Um, And then the other thing I would say is we have an incredibly strong three lines of defense, Um, you know, our risk department, our compliance department, internal audit, we really have buy-in from the top on, you know, looking across the portfolio to try to figure out if there are weaknesses, if there are issues, we want to be the first to know. And I always kind of think of it as I want us to be self-regulatory. So I never want to have a regulator come in and tell me that something's wrong that I didn't already know about and have an action plan in place to put it. Um, I should be the first one. And I don't mean me personally, but like our team, our company, we should be the first ones to know if something's wrong and raise our hand and help to fix it. Um, So I think it's sort of the buy-in from every single team member, whether you're answering the phones or you're the one who's responsible for testing something or logging something in the system, we all have that, you know, that strength of character and that um, culture of care here. And then I will say, um, you know, that's great. It only gets you so far. So the last thing I'll say is technology. Um, And that is the ability to truly test across the portfolio. So I think historically, um, in the industry, all of us, whether you're in originations or servicing, we've relied on you know, maybe 10% sample a stat- or a statistical sample of your loans. And if I want to know if a letter went out when it was required, I can pull 100 loan files and go look for the image, or I can use the data and I can say it should have gone out on 100,000 loans. Show me I got a return code from my print vendor that it went out, right? And so it's the ability, I think, for us as um, a fintech company to have access to our proprietary technology to be able to create the controls and the processes and the testing that we need to know every single loan hit a particular milestone that we needed it to. For our listeners out there, can you explain how compliance interacts with sales or, or products on a on a um, ongoing basis? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say it's very unique at TMS in that a lot of times um, when we're talking about sales, we're talking about business development. So our team that's bringing in new clients where we're servicing on their behalf um, and, you know, whether you believe it or not, they care a lot about compliance because it goes back to what we were talking before about reputational risk, particularly um, if we're private label servicing. Uh, for a client, which we do for those who really want to continue their relationship with the customer and have that brand recognition. And they want to make sure that, you know, they're putting their customers in good hands. So a lot of times it's sales that is coming to me and my team to say, hey, can you talk to these clients? Can you reassure them about the processes and the controls we have in place? Um, Because when it's their customers, they really care about it. Um, And I would say it's the same thing from operations. Uh, you know, TMS is a little bit of a disruptor in this space. Servicing isn't necessarily known to be a uh, innovative industry, uh, particularly when it's something where 
we're not B2C, right? As a customer, you can't choose your service or you get what you get where your loan gets sold to. That's not a decision you get to make. And so there hasn't historically been a lot of um, innovation and customer friendliness on the servicing side. And for us at TMS, that's 100% what we're focused on. And so I think in operations, we work well with them because we're not looking at what does every other servicer out there do? Let's do it like that. We're saying, what are the rules? What are our obligations? And then how creative and innovative can we be in that space to do it in a different way that maybe works better or more efficiently? Um, so it's a, it's a unique perspective, um, but it, it works for us and it works in a, I think, a new and disruptive way. Shana, that was great. Thank you very much for making the time. Yeah, I um yeah, thanks for getting nerdy in the weeds with me. Are your clients looking for a rate forecast? How about there will be no refi boom before Christmas? <laughs> Most people expect slightly higher mortgage rates and perhaps a bit more time before they come down as well. Some economists are pulling down their outlook for housing price growth, you know, reducing it a percent from last month and reducing their existing home sales forecast by about 100,000 in annualized sales. While new home sales are running above expectations as builders offload a glut of inventory. But recently, there are some early signs of stability in housing demand and supply. First, the pace of increases in mortgage rates on a monthly basis slowed to the lowest increase in three months. Meanwhile, several indicators of demand flattened out, including the smallest weekly change in mortgage purchase applications in over a month. The Redfin demand index rose 0.5% after falling for most of the past six weeks, and the decline in pending sales also stopped accelerating after eight weeks of worsening. I should note that Turing data and Google searches reveal a similar trend. However, it's really too early to say if demand will remain stable and the uptick in mortgage rates this week suggests it probably won't. Ahead of today's midterms and inflation data later this week, we saw the FOMC raise the Fed's overnight borrower rate by another 75 basis points last week to 4% as expected following their November 2nd meeting. While there was some language in the statement that many initially interpreted as dovish, Fed Chairman Powell noted it was very premature to consider a pivot in monetary policy. He was direct when he said he expects the peak Fed funds rate to be higher than previously expected. It is possible that the unemployment rate and the Fed funds rate will both need to be greater than 5% for the FOMC to consider a change in direction. Today's calendar includes two releases, NFIB Small Business Optimism for October and Redbook Same Store Sales. We also do have a treasury auction of $40 billion of three-year notes. Today is also Election Day, where Republicans are favored to take back control of the House and possibly the Senate. We begin the day with agency MBS prices, little change for Monday, and the 10-year yielding 4.20 after closing yesterday at 4.21%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I'm at a place in my life where errands are starting to count as going out. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus, the homeownership platform that unites the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution that spans engagement, origination, closing, and business intelligence. To learn more about Simple Nexus and Encino Company, visit simplenexus.com. about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, 
Search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.